Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. So if you were here with us, um, maybe was it two or three weeks ago, we went over the vision packet, and one of the things that I emphasized was um, us moving out from within here to out there. We talked about the Lord doing a work in here the past couple of years, Covenant Community, and he will continue to do that, but also I just, I just feel a slight shift of focus a little bit. The Lord wants to use this body to reach the city of Lakeland, to reach Polk County. So this morning, I want to teach a message entitled, Developing a Missional Mindset. We're all at different places in our walk with the Lord. We're all at different places of experience and understanding when it comes to reaching out. But I want us to corporately get on the same page to get today so that we can move forward in the same direction. And when I say missional, I'm not just saying mission trips. Right? Don't you have a mission for your life? Does God have a mission for all of us? And it's not just to fly across the country preach the gospel, and then come back here, and we just kind of live idly? Is that the, that's not the mission, is it? I'll say in my experience to, to living missionally, I'm a work in progress. I'm not perfect. I laid out there before you. You guys know I'm honest with you. I'm not perfect in this, but I really want to grow in this. I really want to live out God's purpose. And the more you look in scriptures, the more you search his heart, the more you realize his purpose for your life has nothing to do with you. Like the more you get into God's will, the less you can focus on yourself. And there's a world out there we're called to reach. There's people, real people who are lost, who are broken, who are hungry, who are thirsty. And so the Lord wants to help us this morning. So in talking about reaching out to others, it's one of those topics that mostly in the church we don't want to talk about because we all feel condemned. We feel like we're not doing a good job or it's just kind of a a quieter message. Um, My heart this morning is not to condemn you. My heart is to encourage you. There's an invitation from the Lord this morning. He's inviting us into the more. If we want to know what more looks like, we're going to talk about it this morning. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your great heart. We thank you that you made a way for us to enter into your presence. I thank you for your love for me and your people. And Lord, I pray this morning your word would speak and direct us. Would you bring forth correction? Would you bring forth direction? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word, Lord. Would you bring us into full obedience? Full obedience, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you're taking notes, we're going to hit three sections here this morning. I'm going to tell you these three sections and we're going to work through them. So the first thing, the first section is titled, Understanding Our Current Missional Mindset in the Church. Understanding Our Current Missional Mindset in the Church. The second part we'll hit, understanding God's missional mindset in the word. Understanding God's missional mindset in the word. And then number three, we're going to talk about trending in the right direction. So understanding our current missional mindset in the church, understanding God's missional mindset in the word, and trending in the right direction. So I called my old faithful friend, Barna, the Barna study group. I didn't call them. I looked at some of their articles. Here's some, some insights, some studies speaking to our, the current missional mindset in the church in America. There's a study in 2018, the study was called Missions in Review, Trends Impacting Global Missions and Evangelism. So they asked churchgoers, okay, doesn't mean they're saved or not saved because, you know, they didn't clarify that, but just churchgoers, people who go to church. They asked them, have you heard of the Great Commission? 51% said no. 25% said yes, but I can't recall the exact meaning. In my book, I would count that as no. (laughs) So right there, you have 25 or 75% of churchgoers don't know it, or they say they do know it, but they can't explain it to you, which means they're probably not doing it. Is that safe to assume? That's 75%. 17% say, yes, they know what it means, and they went on to explain it, and it was done accurately. And 6% were unsure. And in this study, it showed that the older you you are, the more likely you are to know the Great Commission. So really, it was more towards the younger generations that didn't know what the Great Commission was. So that was 2018. In 2021, did a very similar study. This one was called The Great Disconnect, Reclaiming the Heart um, of the Great Commission in Your Church. And so they asked the average Christian, again, have you heard of the Great Commission? This time, 63% said no. So the number went from 51 to 63. 19% said yes, but I can't recall the meaning. That number went from 25 to 19, so it went down. And then 12% said, yes, and here's what it means, and they were able to explain its meaning. So we went from 75% of the church not knowing in 2018 to about 81% or so in 2021 not knowing the Great Commission. You guys Okay. They asked 
practicing Christians. So practicing Christians are Christians, they would say, that are legit. They love Jesus. They, they, they follow him. They obey his commandments. So they ask practicing Christians, which of the following teachings of Jesus is referred to as the Great Commission? They just put the question out there, and only 50% of those practicing Christians could identify the verse. So, thus far, we're trending in the wrong direction. They also asked practicing Christians, is missions a calling or a mandate from God? 46% of the church said it's a calling, and 42% said it's a mandate. So 46% say missions is a calling, and 42% say it's a mandate. They asked pastors the same questions. 85% of the pastors said missions is a mandate. So when the church, I know there's a lot of numbers here, track with me here. 46, that's why I got my glasses on today, I got to be, you know. 46% said it's a calling, 42% said it's a mandate. As far as Christians, you ask pastors, 85% said it's a mandate. So not only are we trending in the wrong direction, there's also confusion on who's doing what in here. Most pastors are saying, no, you go and win the lost. And most of the church is saying, no, pastor, you go and win the lost. And we're in this tug of war of who's going to get who to do what. Well, here at Hadafim, we're going to do it together. Is that okay? Yes. Okay, so that paints a small picture of um, the missional mindset in the West, in the church in America. It's, it's poor, um, it's discouraging, but thank God he always has a remnant. Always has a remnant. I want to do something here. I want to go a little bit deeper and talk about three different types of gospel workers, okay? I want to talk about the things that motivate our hearts when it comes to sharing the gospel, being salt and light, things like that. So I'm going to need three volunteers. Well, give me two because my daughter, now come on here. My daughter Josie, I told her she could come in hell. So you'll be that one. You'll be this one, and you go stand over there. No, no, no. She gets the good one. You get the. <clears throat> okay. Don't open them yet. Let's open up Mallory's, okay? When it comes to reaching out, evangelism, sharing the gospel, there's three types of workers. You're either this worker right here, the religious worker. Mal, can you hold it a little straight, please? Oh, gosh. Okay, only when I evangelize do I feel confident in God's love for me. My good works make me feel better in my relationship with God. 
Flip the board over, please. When I don't evangelize, I lose confidence in, my relation, in, my, in God's love for me. My lack of good works, where are we at? My lack of good works makes me feel ashamed and guilty in my relationship with God. Hashtag works-based gospel, right? Your good works make you feel like you're in a better position with God. You're more accepted with God because you did good works. Or your lack of good works puts you in a worse condition, in a worse position before God. Where's Jesus in, in, in all of this? If we look at Galatians chapter 3, he says, This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And he goes over in chapter 5. And he says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged or severed from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace." So you have believers who thought, hey, I'll get circumcised, I'll keep the law, I'll, I'll do the law, and that will actually make me justified before God. They'll put me in a better position before God. He says, you who attempt to be justified by the law. So in your heart, you believe your good works justify you. Or you believe your lack of good works totally condemns you in your relationship with God. He says, if you, if you believe that, he says, you've fallen from grace. When did this become all about your works or lack thereof? You stand justified before God the Father because of Christ and Christ alone. That was the whole worship this morning. You are trying to enter in one way or another. There's only one way that you will be justified before God is through Christ and him alone. So this is the religious worker. They're caught in this prism of works, good works. Does God love me? No, he doesn't. I didn't do works today. Now he loves me because I did works today. But at the core is works. Let's go to Brother Jonathan over here. Let's see what he has to say. Turn the other way around. Oh, yeah, Mel, you can put yours down. Okay, we have here. So that's one side. Over on the other side, we have the irresponsible, lazy worker. Uh-oh. It doesn't matter, Jonathan. It doesn't matter if I don't share the gospel. That's that text message. Because. What is that? BC? Oh, or BC. I should have been BC. 
because, come on, don't be lazy. Because I believe God is still pleased with me no matter what I do or don't do. All right, it doesn't matter. God's pleased with me. Let's flip it around. Here we go. I don't have to share the gospel because that's someone else's gifting. God understands I don't have grace for that. Okay, this is what you call the me-centered gospel. It's about what I believe, what I think. And I think God is pleased with me no matter what I do or don't do. And I think I don't have grace for that, so it's not my responsibility. Well, Colossians 1.10, he prays that we would walk worthy of the Lord, fully, what? Pleasing him. Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what is acceptable to the Lord. The seven churches in Revelation, first thing Jesus says, I know your what? Your works. And James tells us faith without works is dead. Me-centered gospel. So you got the religious man over here bound up in religion. You got this person who's so free, there's no commands. It's all whatever you want to do. And then we have this beautiful, most precious, cute thing right here. She's doing the right thing. I don't know what Mallory and Jonathan are doing, but she's doing the right thing. <laughs> okay. The faithful and fruitful worker. Because, text message, of Christ, I know and believe that I'm fully loved and accepted by the Father Period. This truth grounds me and motivates me to share the gospel with others. Because of who? Christ. I know the Father loves me and accepts me. That grounds you, that motivates you. All right, let's turn this around, sweetie. Stay right there. Hold it now. Despite my deficiencies and weaknesses, I'm growing confident in the Spirit's ability to work through me to reach others and help me to walk worthy of his calling. Okay, you can sit it down. So here's what 2 Corinthians. Hey, girl, you did really good. You can teach Mallory and Jonathan how to do that. 2 Corinthians 3, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as coming, uh, of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as, as ministers of the new covenant. So where does your sufficiency come from when it comes to sharing the gospel and reaching out to people? You or the Lord? The Lord. John 15, 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that remains. 
So he's calling us to be faithful, to obey his commands, to do his commandments. And you know that the Lord is actually calling us to be fruitful? A lot of times we just like, hey, I just want to be faithful. And most of us probably need to get that one for sure. But if you keep going, he says be fruitful. So you know you can be fruitful in your outreach. That doesn't mean the person gets saved every single time. That's, a, that's, that's beautiful, though. We want that. But sometimes fruitfulness looks like when you share the gospel with someone, they spit in your face, and you actually don't punch them. You actually still love them. You love your enemies. You show patience and mercy. There's fruit to be had in living a missional mindset, even if people aren't getting saved all around you. Be faithful, be fruitful. Jesus is calling us to abide in him as we do his work. He's not asking us to do his work apart from him. He's saying, abide in me, do my work. So for some of you, Jesus is calling you out of religion. He's calling you out of this and into love and acceptance with the Father because of Christ. Let that motivate you. Let that ground you in your walk with him. For some of you, the other ones, he's calling you out of being irresponsible and being lazy. And he's calling you into obedience and responsibility by the power of the Spirit. So which one are you? If we're going to move forward together and do this, we're going to do it the right way. We're going to try to avoid these pitfalls in our relationship with Jesus. We want to be faithful and fruitful workers. Can you say amen? amen. Can you give it up for these helpers here? You can sit down right there. You guys think Jonathan and Mallory did okay? Okay, that's section one. So do we have a little bit of an understanding of our current missional mindset? It's maybe not the greatest, but we're growing more confident in God's ability to use us. Okay? The next section Open up to John chapter 6. Understanding God's missional mindset in the word. What does God think? What does he have to say? Well, Jesus, he says a lot. But I would just want to highlight a few verses that maybe say the most. John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son of Man and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Flip back to John chapter 3. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that, through, but that the world through him might be saved. So you see in just these couple of passages, and also I'll read out to you, Luke 9, verse 56, Jesus says, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Luke 19, 10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. 1 Timothy, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 John 4.14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So God's missional mindset, if it's a two-sided coin, on one side of the coin is, I'm sending my Son. We serve a missional God. He sent His Son to do a work, to do a task, and He completed it. Jesus was always about the Father's business. That's one side of the coin. Flip to the other side of the coin. Go to Romans 10. So Jesus did his part. Romans 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead... You will be saved, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall, they fee how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? So I want you to see this two-sided coin. The first coin is the Father sending the Son. And Jesus comes forth into the earth. He makes a way of salvation. And he's gathering his sheep. Flip the coin over, we have a dilemma. Now that Jesus has gone, how could people call on him and believe upon him if they haven't heard? And if they haven't heard, who's going to preach to them? And if there's no preacher, who's going to send them? Do we realize, church, Jesus has sent us? 
Turn with me to John 17. I want to make this very clear this morning. It may feel elementary, but there's so much confusion for some reason as far as the Great Commission. Look at John 17, verse 14. Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Flip over to chapter 20. Jesus appears to the disciples after his death and resurrection. Verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also, what? Send you. So, the two-sided coin. The Father sent the Son to be Savior of the world. Jesus came, and now Jesus is commissioning you and me to preach one message to the world. This is, this, is the, this is the part that's, that's pretty simple when you think about it. We have only one message to preach to the world. We don't need a sermon series to preach to the world. We don't need to, to go through all, there's all kinds of awesome, wonderful teachings in the word that we could do. But Jesus is saying, there's one message. Matthew 24. Preach this gospel to the ends of the earth as a witness to them. And then the end will come. So do we know that message? Have you wrestled with the gospel in your own heart so that you would be able to communicate it to others? The, the best way and the primary way I've learned how to share the gospel is through praying myself through to get it right. I want to take some time, not, to, not today, but talk, we can talk about what is the gospel, how to share it, all those dynamics, all the methods, all of that stuff. But you know the first way you're going to start doing this is by you fighting in the place of prayer. You overcoming your own fears, your own inadequacies, your own insufficiencies, whatever your faith, whatever's in the way. Like you have to go and break that. Just giving you information is not going to help. Because then you'll go out there and you'll talk to someone and you'll be thinking about all this information you learned and how to say it and it's going to be a hot mess. It's just not going to go well. But the Lord has commissioned us. As the Father sent me, now I send you. Is that simple? So this lands us on the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What does it mean to make a disciple? I want to, I'm not going to linger on this point here, but I want to maybe put this as simply as I can. Because there's a lot of different thoughts and ways of communicating what, is it, what does it mean to make disciples. But I would say, put it this way. Making disciples involves 
what it says in Matthew 28, baptizing them and teaching them obedience. Anytime you influence someone, anytime you invite someone, anytime you convince someone to give their life to Jesus and to get baptized, you just started the disciple-making process. Anytime you influence them, anytime you invite them, anytime you convince them to go and get baptized because of belief, you just started the disciple-making process. A step further, now that they're baptized and they believe in Jesus, you continue the disciple-making process by teaching them obedience to all of his commandments. So anytime you encourage them, anytime you strengthen them, anytime you rebuke them into obedience to the commandments of Jesus, that's the disciple-making process. So it doesn't have to be this super long, drawn-out thing and complicated with this chart and graph and all these things. We should be a people of salt and light that influence, that are inviting people, that are convincing people to give their life to Jesus. And then once they're in, it's about obeying his commandments. So to the world, our message is an invitation. The king is coming. He came for you. He came to save you. We're inviting them into this. In the church, it's a little different. Now we're talking about commandments. We're commanding each other. We're encouraging each other to obey his word. Invitation out there, commandment in here. Does that make sense? Okay. That's God's mindset just a little bit. Let's hit the third part. Trending in the right direction. I'm not going to talk about the methods this morning on how to and what to say and when to say it and where to say it. We're not going to get into all of that because for the most part, if you're not doing this, that will, that will just confuse you for the most part. But here's what I want to do. I want to ask three questions to help us to start trending the right direction. The first question, are you available for God to use you? I'm not talking about your schedule. I'm talking about your heart. Are you available for God to use you? Don't worry about what to say. Don't worry about who the person is. No. Are you available? If you are, you can say amen. Okay, question two. Are you willing to take a risk for God? Are you willing to take a risk for him? Doesn't matter what the risk is, where it's at, or what time it's at. Are you simply willing to take a risk for God? If you say yes, you can say amen. amen. And a third question, do you have a passion to be used by God? Do you want to be used by him? Do you want to see him move in you and through you? If you say yes to that, you can say amen. amen. 
Okay, you all have just been qualified and commissioned to be sent into the world. I really believe, guys, this is step one of trending in the right direction and following and obeying the Great Commission to make disciples, to share the gospel, to be salt and light. Are you available? Are you willing? Do you have any passion? I'm reading through a book. It's called Evangelism in the First Century by a brother named Michael Green, and he's talking about one of the things that really stood out to him in the first century church when it came to evangelism, evangelism was passion. Here's what he says. He says, I argue in this book that neither the strategy nor the tactics of the first Christians were particularly remarkable. What was remarkable was their conviction, their passion, and their determination to act as Christ's embassy to a rebel world, whatever the consequences. He goes on to say, one of the most remarkable impressions the literature of the first and second century made upon me as I wrote this book was the sheer passion of these early Christians. They were passionately convinced of the truth of the gospel. They were persuaded that men and women were lost without it. It was the key to eternal life and without which they would perish. They shared in God's own love, poured out on a needy world. They paid heed to Christ's great commission. They sought to interpenetrate society with the gospel, which had had so profound effect upon them. Christianity, for them, was no hour slot on a Sunday. The ordinary Christians, the missionaries, the academics, the women, all seemed to have shared in this same passionate commitment to the cause. In other words, where's our passion at church? Where's our passion for Jesus? Something got tweaked in me last Sunday to hear those three guys come up here and testify of a fresh work of Jesus in their life. I told you at the beginning, I'm not where I want to be in this area, but I want to trend in the right direction. I want to make myself available. I want to be willing. I want passion to be in my heart for Jesus and what he wants to do. I want to be able to say that I'm about his business and his will. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.